0: Hey everybody, my guest this week is a doctor of the kind I'm trying to bring us more of to learn from. He's a trained cardiologist, trained in Western medicine, who has since moved over into a more holistic way of treating patients away from medication and procedures that are unnecessary in his view and in many of the doctor's views that I uh, have been speaking to lately. I want you to listen closely when he talks about what is a necessary procedure and what isn't as we age, because some of them really just don't matter. I was enlightened like crazy, and I study this stuff a lot. I hope you'll enjoy it. If you do, please share, and uh, let me know if you'd like to hear from anybody that you hear of out there in the world. I'll see if I can get them, or her. This is the Rebellious Wellness Over 50 podcast. I'm Greg Cox, your host, and I believe it's time to bust the myth that aging equals decline or irrelevance. Nonsense. Aging happens, but it doesn't have to ruin your life. Each week, you'll hear experts who think and practice outside the box of conventional wisdom on how to age in good health, so you can live fully expressed. I'm here to bust myths, help you embrace change, and live life your way. If you feel like the best of life has passed, it's time to get a little rebellious in your approach. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Rebellious Wellness Over 50. Today, I have a long-awaited like answer to prayer, a natural heart doctor of all things. Dr. Jack Wolfson, welcome. Thank you so much for being here.
1: Greg, thank you so much to be on. And I guess I qualify to speak to these people. I just turned 53. So look all forward right. to having this conversation. Very important age group as all are, but certainly I'm very interested in, in helping people in this category because they need the, just about the most amount of help.
0: Yeah. So let me just tell people a little bit about you. There's a lot to say, but I'm going to keep it short and let you tell us your story. So you're a board certified cardiologist. I believe that you're also a doctor of osteopathy. Is that correct?
1: Yeah. So I guess to cut you off there, I am a a DO like my father before me. So four years of osteopathic school, three years internal medicine, three years of cardiology was my 10 years of training.
0: Okay, great. And for more than two decades, you have touched more than a million people through your courses and events. That's a big number of people. (laughs) Thank heavens you're here helping that many people. I hope people take the message and use it, right? And now you run a practice called the Natural Heart Doctor. And it is the world leader in cardiovascular health because you get people from all over the world coming to you for answers about heart problems when they don't want traditional Western medicine and medications and procedures.
1: Yeah, you know, I like to think of natural heart doctor as the worldwide leader in cardiovascular health. So Mm -hmm. somebody may say, what about the Cleveland Clinic? What about the Mayo Clinic, Texas Heart Institute, Cedars-Sinai? Those are the worldwide leaders in cardiovascular sickness and disease. We're the worldwide leader in cardiovascular health. And, you know, to the million people I touched mostly through online media, et cetera. It's, it's really just a small, 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 tiny dent in the worldwide population who needs to hear this information. So I do appreciate you having me on to discuss these very important topics.
0: Yeah and we're going to get into the whole freedom idea about making our choices in freedom and feeling safe about that. But I want to just ask you, you were a traditional cardiologist, you trained as a cardiologist. You're certainly not practicing western illness care or emergency care as the heart doctor, America's heart doctor. So tell us, how did you what what made you switch?
1: Yeah, and let me start off this conversation because I tend to come across very I guess, opposing mainstream medicine. And there is a time and a place for mainstream medicine. You know, there's emergency rooms and trauma centers for a reason. But for prevention, for the uh, treatment of chronic illness, for recovery after surgeries, for example, or heart attacks or strokes, the medical community truly has nothing. The pharma and subsequent procedures are totally worthless. And I got to this line of thinking in 2004 when I would meet this young woman. And I met this young woman uh, after I finished up my 10 years of medical training and three years on the job in the biggest group in the state of Arizona as a hospital-based cardiologist doing all the procedures. And I also like to say that I was born into cardiology. My father was a cardiologist. Uh, I followed exactly in his footsteps. And when I was reaching this pinnacle of my life at the time as far as becoming a hospital-based cardiologist in the biggest group and everything that goes along with that, my father was sick and he was dying of a Parkinson's-like illness. And eventually we took him to the Mayo Clinic, right? One of the most prestigious medical institutions in the world. And the Mayo Clinic labeled him with a Parkinson's-like illness called progressive supranuclear palsy, PSP. And they said, we have no idea why he has this, and there is no treatment for this, and he'll be dead within three years. And my father would die a tortuous and cruel death that Mm -hmm. you would not wish on on anyone, of course. And uh, at the time of my father's diagnosis at the Mayo Clinic, I was serendipitously uh, divinely introduced to a young woman who is a doctor of chiropractic. And she tells me exactly why my father is sick and dying and talking about the food and about the lifestyle and about all these different chemicals and toxins and all these things. So here, the Mayo Clinic has no idea. And the 29-year-old chiropractor has all the ideas why my father's sick and dying. And she said, if you want to avoid the same fate, you will follow my advice and your patients will benefit. That's why you became a doctor is to help people. So you truly want to help people. And she said, you need to become a DC. And I said, wait a second, you me to become a dc doctor of chiropractic after all these years of my training and and she said no not dc doctor of chiropractic you need to become a dc doctor of cause you have to go after the cause and causes of why people get sick i listened i started changing we got married we have four beautiful children and in 2012, I opened up my doors, Natural Heart Doctor. And that is where I I practice, along with my extensive, amazing team to this day.
0: That's a great story. I love that. Well, let's talk about my listeners, many of whom are mid-50s to mid-60s. And many also have concerns about The medications that they're being asked to take their estrogen has gone down their heart rate has gone up their cholesterol has gone up and they don't necessarily want to be on medications but i can talk to my best friends in the whole world about half of them are on something and they just well it doesn't bother me so it's okay so first let's unpack is it always necessary natural heart doctor and i'm thinking you don't believe that medication is always necessary but when is it necessary for a woman? We can talk about statins in a minute. Let's just talk about basic blood pressure. Are blood pressure medications safe?
1: The short answer is they're not. They can be beneficial in an emergency situation when blood pressure is very high. But the goal should always be to get off of those pharmaceuticals as quickly as possible. They can lower numbers down, that's for sure. But do they make meaningful impact in reducing your chances of heart attack, stroke, kidney disease, heart failure, dying, the answer is no, no, no. And this is a class of pharmaceuticals that on an annual basis is is Tens, if not hundreds of billions in revenue to the pharma coffers. So we as medical doctors are just trained right from the get go about how to prescribe pharmaceuticals. We're not trained as doctors of cause. And the blood pressure drugs are a horrific, horrific attempt At the individual person to try and stay healthy. Now, on the the medical doctor side, again, they're only taught that way. They're not trained in eat well or live well or think well as it relates to anything. So as we look at people through that lens of eat well, live well, think well, that's what we do at natural heart doctor but I can show you data I've got presentations I could talk about this all day long I would implore people to work to get off the blood pressure drugs quickly even though you may not be having side effects here's the problem is that people who have normal blood pressure on Pharma are at much 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 higher risk than people with normal blood pressure not on Pharma they're not the same. They're not the same, and people need to understand that. You are still at very high risk if you're on pharma.
0: Risk of a cardiac event?
1: Yes. Risk okay. of heart attack, risk of stroke, risk of heart failure, risk of dying. Hmm.
0: Good news all around. Let's move on to statins, which is the next most prescribed drug. I don't know statistically, I'm just saying amongst the people that I know and talk to in this age group and some of them who I coach. Statins, in my understanding, correct me if I'm wrong, for women especially, they are contraindicated at any age of life. For men, the best candidate is somebody who's had a cardiac event. And other than that... (laughs) Putting all of that aside, I also know that they can cause symptoms like Parkinson's and MS and this and that and the malevolent pathways. I mean, they do horrible damaging things to people. I was listening yesterday to a doctor talk about a study that was maybe from the early 2000s where they went into a nursing home and the elderliest people like 80 plus who had dementia who are also on statins. They took them off the statins to see what would happen and the people recovered. They're mentally that when they took the test again, they were completely without the dementia symptoms. So why are all of these statins being still, I mean, money? Yes, there's money, but two things. Are they safe for anybody in the female category and what are the real side effects as you know them?
1: So statin drugs are the number one selling class of pharmaceuticals of all time, in particular Lipitor, which is now generic as atorvastatin, is the number one selling drug of all time. In particular, for Pfizer, Pfizer is the number one revenue generating pharmaceutical company in the world as well. And we can talk really in the, in in light of three things: a, do statin drugs work? for their alleged purpose, preventing heart attack, stroke, you know, dying, need for stents or bypass surgery. Number two, what is the side effect profile of those? And then number three, what are the ramifications of someone taking this drug and the mindset that is often taught to them to, you know, it doesn't matter how you eat, live or think it's if you take the drug, you're good. And that's ultimately why i say that i believe statin drugs are responsible for killing millions of people not directly in the way of side effects but what happens is is that people have a false sense of security on that particular pharmaceutical or any pharmaceutical for that matter and therefore they think that they do not have to eat well live well think well or they're not taught that way whatever what you know i mean there's there's a lot of blame to go around in, in all these different areas and ultimately the decision should rest on the individual to make that choice. Now, when it comes to the data of the benefits of statin drugs, the literature tells us that in a broad way, statin drugs prevent heart attacks and dying overall death rates. A little bit. Some trials show increased mortality on statin drugs, increased risk of dying. But overall, if you look at the combined body of work of statin drugs, which you could go conspiratorial and say, hey, these studies are produced by the pharmaceutical companies that stand to make the money. Is there a possible chance that the data is not real? Well, if there there is that chance. And and in all likelihood, I'm just about, I I would say, me personally, I'm 100% in belief that the data is, is changed. But nonetheless, taking the data for what it is, that there is a tiny benefit overall. Now, to your point, certain classes benefit more than others. It appears that people who've already had a heart attack or some kind of cardiac procedure, bypass surgery stents, they actually benefit uh, a little bit more than those who have never had an event. So that's secondary versus primary prevention, primary meaning uh, you know, 53 years old, I've never had a cardiac issue. There does also appear to be some sex-based differences. But overall, let's not confuse the thing here. The medical community will tell women to take statin drugs, and the guidelines will support that as well. There are medical doctors, cardiologists I used to work with who believe that Statin drugs should be in the drinking water. Yeah. So certainly, if they're in the drinking water of our children and and of teenagers and and you know Gen Z people who are in their twenties and thirties, it's in your drinking water if you're above fifty. So ultimately, again, it's not about how do we reduce the risk of having a heart attack on an annual basis from three percent to two point eight percent. We want to know how do I get to close to zero percent. We know they don't offer that, Greg. I believe that we do it natural heart doctor. And so when I say that millions of people have died at the hands of statin drugs, it's because that 2.8% number, we failed them. They didn't get the message about eat well, live well, think well, because it shouldn't be 3% versus 2.8. It should be 3% versus 0%.
0: I think I should have started with the idea is the statins are for lower cholesterol. My understanding is that Couple of things: fifty percent of people that have heart failure and die have normal cholesterol, and fifty percent have low cholesterol. And then that you can go on and on about how this low cholesterol mania is has taken root and affecting us. Don't eat this, don't eat that, because it boosts your cholesterol. So, how does diet affect cholesterol? And B, how low can you go before you start to see physical effects that are negative on the body?
1: Uh, Very good. So, so, so we'll circle back on the statin drug side effects. So, let's address this question about. What are statins there to do? And like you said, they're there allegedly to lower cholesterol and there could be other what's called pleiotrophic effects of statin drugs where they also do this and they also do this and they also do this. And the main benefit, though, according to mainstream cardiology, is that it lowers cholesterol numbers down, lowers LDL, the bad, and raises potentially the HDL, the good. All of this stuff regarding vilifying total cholesterol, vilifying LDL. That's all pharmaceutical company speak. That's all training the doctors and society to believe that these are bad things. If cholesterol is so bad, why does every human make it? Why does every single animal on planet Earth contain cholesterol? Why does mother's breast milk and cow's milk, for that matter, why does that contain cholesterol? Well, that's how you feed a baby and bring a baby you know—to to to grow its brain and its body. Why does a chicken egg contain cholesterol? Because that's how a chicken comes to life. And I joke, try raising a chicken on oatmeal and you won't get very far (laughs) with that chicken. That chicken will not make it. So cholesterol should be celebrated. It should be applauded. It should be cheered. And what we're trying to achieve is the perfect cholesterol level for each one of us individually, as designed by our Creator. And everybody has a different number. Greg, you know your number may be total cholesterol of. you know two ten is perfect for you. If you were walking around on planet Earth a thousand years ago, five thousand years ago, however long ago, what would your cave woman cholesterol be? What would my caveman cholesterol be? And, you know, to that end, we're trying to use this whole construct of eat well, live well, think well to determine where we should be. And that's where we should be. LDL is not the bad. HDL is not the good. There are good LDLs and there are bad LDLs. There's good HDLs and bad HDLs. It's very complex and they tried to simplify it in order to achieve their objectives. And ultimately, there are the most advanced testing in the world. So as I've said already a few times, we follow that method of eat well, live well, think well, and then we test, don't guess. We use the most advanced testing in the world. And what's much, much, much more important than the lipids Because again, LDL has a role, HDL has a role, and and we can talk about that if we want or not. But we want to know our markers of inflammation and oxidative stress. That's what matters, because if we are inflamed and developing a lot of free radicals from oxidative stress, we better figure out why. That's the that's the problem. Uh, So, again, celebrate cholesterol, celebrate eating cholesterol rich foods and you want better measurements than what I would say are the 1970s testing of total cholesterol and LDLs and HDLs.
0: Now, if somebody were to ask for a cardiac profile, which would break down the lipids, LDL, the little ones, the big fluffy ones, is is that something that's commonly done? I mean, can anybody just go to their doc and say, this year for my annual, please include a cardiac profile, and will that help determine what they need?
1: The two biggest lab testing companies in the United States, you know, certainly are LabCorp and Quest, and both of them do run those profiles. And the one thing you want to ask for, uh, really on a multitude of of things you could ask for that are covered and will be covered by insurance, we're looking for uh, APOA. ApoB, so ApoA would be kind of a surrogate marker for HDLs. ApoB would be a surrogate marker for LDLs and other particles. And then what we do is we calculate a ratio, the ApoB, ApoA ratio. The lower the ratio, the better. Along those lines, though, you also want to ask about LP parentheses small a okay. called LP little a. And that is a genetic marker uh, that uh, you need to know if you have it. And if you do have it, there are things you can uh, do for it. I'm not a believer in in bad genetics. I believe that our genetics are perfect. I believe, again, that we are created perfectly. And all, all disease is man-made. All disease is man-made poisons. Now, certain man-made poisons and violations of eat well, live well, think well in some families can lead to colon cancer, in some families breast cancer, in some families heart disease or dementia or Parkinson's, and in some cases all the above. But if we are truly born into a healthy world, let's say circa a thousand years ago, and we are hunter-gatherers, uh, genetics mean nothing. Yeah,
0: yeah. Let's talk about the kinds of procedures to diagnose things in the heart because there's so many and uh, maybe we can avoid some of them.
1: Well, I think one that's uh, very popular, you know, would be, do we need a, a stress test? Do I need a stress test, an annual stress test? And I'll say the answer is no. And I would say always avoid a nuclear stress test where they inject you with radioactive material unless you're trying to become Lou Ferrigno in the Incredible Hulk, you know, circa 1970s. You want to uh, avoid that. Okay. Now, if you need a stress test with imaging, you can do what's called a stress echocardiogram, but avoid the nuclear injection whenever possible. And again, work with someone on that. the, The doctor relationship should be a partnership with you, not a dictatorship. The stress testing is really good for people with symptoms where you're not quite sure if it's cardiac or not. So if someone comes in and they're like, I get this discomfort in my chest, and but sometimes it's after food, and sometimes it's when I'm exerting myself, and sometimes I'm just sitting and reading a book and it hurts. Okay, fine, let's do a stress test and see uh, if that is indeed cardiac. But otherwise stress testing in asymptomatic people or people without symptoms is is worthless. And I guess in short, I would say it's a money grab. And I'd say it's a money grab that I participated in for many years in mainstream cardiology. The other test that's very popular is a CT scan, uh, otherwise known sometimes as a calcium scan or calcium score. I am 100% against that test. Now, if you've had the test, I don't want you to panic. And uh, frankly, if you've had the test, it's it can provide some information that can be useful, but I never think that that procedure is worth the risk of the radiation exposure. And again, you can tell that if I don't want radiation injected, I don't want it externally. I understand that radiation is all around us and if I go flying on a plane from here to Tokyo, I will be radiated from that. Well, if I'm flying from here to Tokyo, there's a reason for it and there is a benefit for it, uh, hopefully. There's no benefit that outweighs the risks regarding a CT scan. Let's just assume you've got coronary disease. Why don't we just assume if you're listening right now, you're in the 99th percentile of coronary artery disease. There's nothing else to do about it except for the following. Eat well, live well, (laughs) think well, test don't guess with the most advanced blood, urine, and potentially stool and salivary testing, evidence-based supplements, and biohacking strategies. that is my plan for you and it's working for a lot of people over here at Natural Heart Doctor and I'm not the only one who's who's spouting this. I tend to be a little bit on the extreme side of even the holistic doctors but you know I'm right and uh, everybody else is wrong.
0: I love that. So just to close this conversation if a doctor were to say your cal score is 50% whatever the numbers would be and it requires you to take a statin are they related at all does it affect the calcium that's already in the arterial walls
1: well that's an interesting question and i will also say that i do not prescribe statin drugs i don't for for anyone uh, because i've seen the ramifications i've seen the side effects and i see really the the paucity of benefit uh if any and uh, as far as if you have that score then should you go on a statin drug? And of course, if I just said what I just said, my answer would be no. It's interesting that the studies show that statin drugs increase coronary calcification. So if you think you have a score of 100, for example, and you start a statin drug, on average, your number is going to go up. Now, they will all admit that that is true based on the data, but What they will say, okay, yes, calcium score goes up, but your risk goes down. How much does it go down in BIDOC? You know, I I heard it's a little bit because that's the truth. It is a little bit according to overall data. And I do want to say there are studies that show that more people died in the statin group. But... I don't believe that those people with coronary disease or calcification should go on statins. I don't believe they should go on aspirin. I don't believe they should go on PCSK9 inhibitors. I don't believe they should go on anything except for the methodology of what we use at Natural Heart Doctor uh, is how I would do it. Listen, if you're in the midst of a heart attack, you're going to the hospital, they're going to do a stent. If you need open heart bypass surgery you are certainly welcome to go down that route. If you do not want to go down those medical routes and you're just, you know what, I've prayed on it. I've thought about it. I've discussed it. I just don't want to do it. We're here to help you. We're here to help you. Whether you go for the surgery, you you don't go for the surgery, you want to live as long and as healthy and as well as possible after surgery. That's That's certainly what we do. And that's what you deserve. At least you deserve the discussion to talk about the possibilities and how it all works.
0: Exactly. We can't leave this conversation of markers without triglycerides entering into it. Could you say, I think triglycerides will come down with a reduction of sugar and carbohydrates for many people. You tell me what you think.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's definitely a fact. So when we talk also about sugar, carbs. We also have to remember alcohol because alcohol will certainly increase triglycerides as well. Now, triglycerides, as of what they are, they are the fuel of the body. So eat food or we break down fat in our cells as food, they're released as triglycerides. That triglyceride serves as fuel for the body to create energy. And so triglycerides have a role. What we do know is that The higher your triglyceride level, the higher your risk of cardiovascular disease. And the answer is not one of the many pharmaceuticals that lowers the triglycerides down. The answer is to prevent what's causing the high triglycerides. And ultimately, that is related to the carb, sugar, and alcohol that people take. In uh, it's also a factor of things inside of living well. It's a factor of how well we sleep, about how much sunshine exposure we get, certainly how much physical activity, the link between elevated triglycerides and environmental toxins is is known as well it's not discussed but it's known it's discussed by me environmental toxins including mold and mold mycotoxicity which is a massive massive category that we may not get time to today but that information is all over my website as well because if there's anything i'm passionate about at this time regarding health and wellness of uh, everyone in the equation whether it is the Ah, preconception woman looking for fertility, uh, the the in utero child, or you know, once you come out of the womb and then being born into a world of mold from water damage, bacteria from water damage in a home—it's catastrophic. It's mentioned in the Bible, thirty-five hundred years ago. Moses talks about it in, in three chapters in Leviticus. It is uh, a tragedy today going on and needs to be assessed.
0: Briefly mentioned, baby aspirin. I know that's a common prescription, all genders, all ages. I, I, I'm guessing you don't prescribe them. What is yeah, the danger or the benefit and or the benefit?
1: It sounds kind of cliche, but you know we're not suffering from... Heart disease is not from a statin drug deficiency and it's not from an aspirin deficiency. So aspirin has been utilized for many years and promoted certainly by the powers that be and the Bayer Corporation. And it turns out actually that people over the age of 60 have a much have a significantly higher risk of of stroke in particular and dying uh, on aspirin for primary prevention for secondary prevention the data gets a little bit better for for certain classes of people, whether it's diabetic or hypertensives, the data gets a little bit better. But ultimately, yeah, there's a better way. There's a natural way to to heart health. And it's not, you know, with aspirin, of course, aspirin has bleeding risk associated with it, most commonly from peptic ulcer disease so it's a heavy irritant even in the baby aspirin amount uh, again how could you think that baby aspirin is efficacious in one area but doesn't lead to ulceration in the other area you would be sadly mistaken so there's better ways than aspirin and all the different pharmaceuticals and you know continue to ask the questions to make sure you know what's right for you
0: which brings me to i won't name the big a that i'm thinking of but diabetes the commercials the ads the websites that promote eat this donut even though you have diabetes because you can inject more insulin and i think it's sad it makes me really sad because a lot of people are suffering and will get worse and maybe go blind or whatever is going to happen but i think also they don't believe they have a way out i'm going to say a way out of the of the disease called diabetes i bet you have a different opinion
1: yeah, there's always a way out of what would be considered type 2 diabetes. Type 1 diabetes yeah. is autoimmune, where your immune system attacks your pancreas, but there are ways to uh, minimize the need for insulin, and even some people recover. It's you know clearly clearly a possibility, certainly favoring the younger people with, with type 1, but the vast majority of people have what's called type 2 or insulin resistant, but it really is kind of more than that. It's more than just the body produces a lot of insulin, but it doesn't work because of this resistance. And the peripheral cells. There also is the factor that these people with what is known as type 2, they often don't produce actually enough insulin which Mm -hmm. makes it kind of like this diabetes 1.5 type category and I've seen that for years and years and years and it's finally getting a little bit more recognition but when you see that when you test people's fasting insulin levels you can see that their blood sugar is high they're making insulin but not enough and again when you don't give your body the tools it needs to make insulin uh, or toxins are destroying the ability to make insulin then yeah you'll develop diabetes but it is all recoverable. Pharmaceuticals are not the answer. You got all the stuff all over television these days, you know, from uh, Ozempic and, and Wegovi and Manjaro. It's all just trying to cheat the system. And you may lose a tremendous amount of weight. Your numbers may look better, but your outcomes are not going to be significantly better. And it will be nowhere near the results if if you did things naturally on your own, it will not be the same, I promise you.
0: What's one medical procedure that we start getting told after 50 or 55 or 60 to get every year or every couple of years that you think we should just knock on the head?
1: Well, you know, that's a great question. And I think most commonly, when we think about that age of uh, 50, we think about colonoscopy. Now it's yeah. time to go get a colonoscopy. And I would just push people to uh, get screening if they would like in, in another way. And that would be a test like ColoGuard. Mm-hmm. So C-O-L-O-G-U-A-R-D test. Uh, TEST.com, cologardtest.com is where you can get more information on that. Insurance does cover that particular test. Uh, Not only is it non-invasive, therefore it's safe, it's also a better diagnostic test. Now, if it is abnormal, then you will need to go on for a full colonoscopy, but I certainly ask people to start off in that direction. If you have a family history, you know, then I think you know you're more apt to really start on that colon guard test a lot earlier. But don't forget there's a lot of pushback from the gastroenterologist who make a lot of money performing that particular test so they're really fighting, you know, tooth and nail to preserve uh, that particular test, but it really is just so overdone the actual benefit of as far as as far as mortality reduction. And you know, do we save lives by doing these routine colonoscopies after after 50. There, there's really little, if any, benefit of that. And there is certainly risk. So mm-hmm. that's something that I would advise people against.
0: Mm-hmm. So we've been focusing on women and touching a little bit on men. When I was reading through your blog, there are articles there on really reversing or curing or preventing almost everything. I'm thinking ED, I'm thinking pulmonary artery hypertension, blood thinners that are natural. There's so much there that people may not, like I'm saying, this is a great resource listeners for, if you have any question, it seems like this is the better, better than Dr. Google. You can go to naturalheartdoctor.com and read and search for your particular issue. But I want to put a little caveat, go read with, if you have an intention to make use of the information, Cause we can read and read and read all day and we can stay the same and not learn to live well, eat well. And is it think well? But there's no other answer we need than to start taking on the responsibility for our own human machine and giving it what it needs. And I know sometimes it feels onerous and it's annoying to, you know, exercise or forego the donuts, but we really, we have this one life. And we either want to be vital and vibrant, but it's going to take some work. I've been talking this whole month about trusted resources, and I'm trying to bring my people trusted resources like yourself so that they can go and use them. And you do online appointments with people. They don't have to be in your area, right?
1: Yeah, no, I mean, I've been doing virtual since uh, 2012, and I've got another cardiologist who works with me. I've got two naturopathic doctors, a team of health coaches, I've got an anti-aging specialist uh, who is a nurse practitioner. Chiropractor in the office, so yeah, these are all tenets, uh, you know that we that we follow. I do want to say real quick is that if you do eat the donuts, if you do eat this or that, just make it organic. Get the chemicals out of your food. Yeah. So if you got these cheat foods and stuff like that, eh, you know life is to be enjoyed, and if you want to go ahead and do that once in a while, you know, okay, fine, you know, go ahead and do that, but just make sure we get the chemicals out of the food and do it organically. You, I did want to say also that sexual health is extremely important, right? And optimizing sexual health is very important as well. We know that people who are sexually active, they live longer, they live better. And we want to always foster that relationship. And there's ways that we can help in all these different arenas because the world is geared towards sickness. It's geared towards not having good sexual health or performance. So we can certainly help with all these different things. And the foundation ultimately is eat well, live well, think well. Eat the right foods, avoid the wrong foods, You know, live the lifestyle, check for the toxins, avoid the toxins, and thinking well. All these things are important. The testing is important. The evidence-based supplements are important. There's biohacking strategies as well that help with erectile function, male and female, libido, male and female, And a lot of times, as we see it right now, is that the main issue regarding libido is where there's a mismatch. Where the male is high libido, female, low libido, or reverse. Female is high libido, male is low libido. That's that's the mismatch. And that's where a lot of relationships really suffer is where there's the mismatch. If both people have high libido, not really a problem. If both people have low libido, not really a problem, uh, but it's really on that mismatch. So we really try and work to help people guide. Because certainly from a cardiologist standpoint, you know, with circulation issues, huh. we know that people with erectile dysfunction, male and female... Or you know, essentially where a female does not enjoy orgasm, they're at higher risk as well. The men are at higher risk. So we want to make sure that we, you know, through that whole process, everything tends to get better. Uh, Are there a time and a place for pharmaceuticals uh, in this arena, you know, Viagra, uh, uh, Cialis and others? Uh, Yes. Is there hormone replacement a possibility? Yes. Are there certain injectables and peptides uh, that can be used? Uh, There's the P-Shot, you know, for men. There's the O-Shot for women. Uh, which interesting, uh, interestingly enough helps with urinary incontinence that so many so many women uh, over fifty suffer from. So there, there, there's some fantastic options that are out there in the natural arena. And yeah, I, you know, listen, it's about enjoying your life. It's not just about the hundred year heart. You want your hundred year brain clarity, but you want the vitality along with the, you know longevity.
0: Exactly, because who wants to live long in a state of incapacity? Nobody. I don't think anybody would choose it, but some people kind of roll the dice and it just sort of shows up, takes them by surprise. That's what I was talking about. It's we have to take responsibility. And uh, let's just wrap up by talking about freedom and how important it is for us to feel like we have a safe place to go and have that physician relationship, not dictatorship. Talk a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, well, I think that the the freedom of speech the freedom to ask questions, the freedom to, you know, have these conversations. It, it is more important than ever, but I feel like it's more shut down than ever. In in days gone by, I think there was a lot of healthy debates and sometimes you would agree to disagree, but because the communities were small and people were close together you really had to get along with your neighbor. Nowadays, you don't. Nowadays, you can disagree. You can never see that person again. You can shut them out of your life and vice versa. You can disagree on social media and all these things. But ultimately, the the freedom to say your, your piece, uh, I think, is very, very, very important. And I think we should also listen to other people's point of view and, and again, be able to have uh, good dialogues you know, as often been said, you know, we were born with two ears and one mouth, you know, so do more <laughs> listening and less speaking. But not only should we have the freedom of speech, but we need the freedom of choice over our health care. And so if you want to do something to yourself. Well, that's like, you know, your prerogative and you're welcome to do so. If I want to do something to myself or not do something to myself, that's my, my prerogative as well. And yeah, the lines there get very muddy. And, you know, that's why we have these debates and these arguments. But, you know, ultimately the, the decision over what we do with our bodies and our healthcare choices should be ours and
0: ours alone. And that includes a procedure that you may not want. If a doctor says you have to have your colonoscopy, you have to have your mammograms, you have to have... I'm, I'm not talking about people at high risk of anything that would be shown on those tests. I'm talking about your average everyday citizen who kind of gets shoved along the assembly line into these things that they may not want. And it's okay to not want them, not take them.
1: Yeah, no, and and you know, let that be known. And ultimately, I'll look for a second opinion. If, if it's an emergency... You're at the behest of the emergency room doctor, the trauma surgeon. But if it's, if it's an opportunity where you can get a second opinion, you should always get that second opinion or third opinion or whatever it may be until you're comfortable, you know, with that plan. But some of the worst coronary artery disease in the world, you don't necessarily, you don't have to do anything. You don't have to go for the surgery. One may say, well, if you don't, you are at extremely high risk of dying. And if they tell you that, that may or may not be true. I may or may not agree you know, with them in that assessment. But then you'll have to make the decision as to what's right for you. I just think, you know, um, we can all look at it and say, well, <laughs> think about my car and uh, If my car is in the shop and they say my car needs X, Y, Z, well, I'm not an auto expert, you know, so I'm going to just rely on these people just to just to do it. And that may not be overly important as far as what happens to your car, but decisions over your body. They're real and they're permanent. And you may want to, you know, you're, you go to one auto mechanic and the mechanic says you need this, this, and this. Maybe you want to say, you know what, I'm going to take my car to somebody else and see what they say. You know, they, I'm not really getting this whole conversation here. I just I fail to think that my car needs all these different things. I fail to you know, see that my body definitely needs these pharmaceuticals. I just want another opinion on that. So take the time and get the opinion. And I think you'll find other physicians out there like me who will offer you a different approach.
0: Is it ever too late to get started to eat well, think well, and live well?
1: Uh, For sure, the answer is no. And you know that as well. But the, the literature is very clear. For example, if a person who if you take a group of people who are smokers at the age of 70, half the group quit, half the group don't. The group that quits live a lot longer than the group who doesn't. So it is never too late for anyone. And, you know, like you mentioned earlier, that by immediately removing a lot of these pharmaceuticals, life gets better. Brain function gets better, heart function gets better, musculoskeletal, mobility. Things can get better very quickly through dietary changes, lifestyle changes. Little changes can be tremendous. But the more you change, ultimately, the better. You know, If you follow my plan 100%, it's better than 90, which is better than 80, and all of it's better than zero. So the more you follow the health plan, the better.
0: And you give your clients and patients, obviously, your health plan.
1: I mean, oh, it, what, I, what
0: I guess I'm asking is it's sort of a foundational piece is the same for everybody starting with you and then it gets tweaked per condition, age, etc.
1: And that just goes back, Greg, to me being a doctor of cause. So whatever label the doctors have given you, whatever kind of cancer or autoimmune, uh, you know, cardiovascular issue or some of these strange exotic diagnoses, The approach is the same because what something is causing those particular issues and and therefore when you fix that cause through the lens of eat well live well think well that's going to be the strategy for all health conditions
0: i think that's a great place to end thank you dr jack wolfson i really learned a lot i'm sure my audience has too People, please visit visit naturalheartdoctor.com. As I said, there's tons of information there. You can get started, get an idea, or get an appointment. Thank you. You're welcome. I'll be back next week with another fabulous guest. Be well till then. Hey, everybody. I hope you've enjoyed that episode, and I thank you for listening. I'd love to connect with you on social media, if you happen to play over there on Instagram and Facebook. I'm at rebelwell Fifty. LinkedIn of course is my name and on TikTok just look for the rebellious wellness over 50 page and I look forward to connecting you know this is a big year of connection for us this is how we get through tough times is being in community with like-minded people and if you're a listener I believe we are